I am so excited today to have uh, a dear friend with us. He pastors in Hollywood, in Los Angeles. They have built a church of, of literally thousands up there, just purchased a new building and is in a whole building project up there. And God is really using him and his wife in a great way to reach uh, the city of Hollywood and the city of Los Angeles and really make a great difference. But more than that, I mean, uh, you know, that's, that's great. More than that, this guy and his children have the greatest heart uh, for the work of the Lord. Him and his son are building water wells right now all over Africa. If you want to invest in water wells, they have one of the most dynamic ministries, Generosity Water. And they are building water wells all over Africa right now. And then his daughter and him have been working with orphanages. Every time I follow him on Twitter or Instagram, he's always in Africa, always at an orphanage, always helping children, always doing something. And he got a text message from his daughter uh, this week that I want to read to you because to me, this is the sign of a great pastor, the impact they have on their children. You know, as pastors, oftentimes you've seen it. You can reach the entire world and lose your own family. But what I really look at is I want to see a, a man and woman of God who realizes that their family is their first ministry and pouring into their children. Because how many know a lot of times pastors' kids can be some of the worst kids in the church? Uh, I know the other day my wife made me stop watching Ultimate Fighting with my son because he was practicing his moves on the other kids at children's church. So no more Ultimate Fighting in our house for Asher. Um, but he, uh, let me read to you this text message that he got from his daughter this week, because to me, this speaks of his credentials more than building a great church, more than all the other stuff, the impact he made in the life of his children. Listen to this. His daughter texted him, dear mom and dad, as I, lay, as I lay down my head at night and close my eyes, the only thing that I can picture is this next journey ahead of me. I am so excited and so ready for this. I remember a time when I was eight years old, laying on my back on the trampoline. I looked up to the heavens and I said, here I am, God, send me. I will go to the ends of the earth for you. Now, she's about to go to Africa to live as a missionary and work in an orphanage there. That's, that's a little context behind this text message. She says, I don't know many eight-year-olds that would say that, but I also don't know many parents that teach their children to change the world or even tell them that they can. I remember from a very young age that you both told me that I could change the world and I believed you. Now, here I am, 12 years later, leaving comfort to go to the ends of the earth for my Lord and King. I was raised not to just survive the hardships of this world, but to change them. So here I go to bring justice to those with no voice. Thank you for believing in me and trusting that God will take care of me as he sends me all over the world. I love you so much and appreciate how much support you give me. So excited and so ready. I tell you, if I could get a text message like that from my son when he turns 20 years old, I will be one happy, happy father. I want you to welcome a dear friend of ours. He is a, he's kind of the, the head of the art movement in Southern California. As you know, I've mentioned time and time again, we are an art church here. He's kind of a, a, the pioneer art father in Southern California. And so we love having him today. He's here to kind of check up on me, make sure I'm doing a good job so you can talk to him afterwards if you have any concerns. Uh, but welcome Pastor Philip Wagner with me this morning, an incredible man of God. Pastor Philip. <laughs> Thank you so much, and uh, I, it's an honor for me to be here, really, seriously. Um, I'm, I've been looking forward to this time to come here. I've known Aaron uh, for years. Uh, I heard him preach years ago. I can't even remember what it was, Aaron, but um, 
I, I just thought, man, this guy is a good preacher. So I wanted to get together with him. So we had a meeting at Starbucks back in the day, and he, he just came, spoke at our church recently. And, and uh, so I just want you to know your pastors have a great reputation uh, around the body of Christ. So it's good to know that others are uh, uh, speak well of them, that they have a, a great gift in their life. So you are blessed. In case you didn't know it, that's why I came to tell you, you are blessed because you got a great pastor and a great church here. So and Amanda sings beautifully up here. Wow, I didn't know that you, I didn't know that you sang like that. So that was great. So, yes, greetings from my church, Oasis Church in L.A., and I uh, pastored there for 28 years. We started in a little home Bible study, and um, so uh, we've been through a lot of stuff on the way, and God has just been uh, uh, faithful to us. And so um, uh, my son, tw- 25 now, uh, runs generositywater.org, and it's an com- uh, organization that we started to build wells in developing nations, and I, I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could build... 20 or 30 wells, and, and so when he stepped in and took over, we've now fun, funded 400 wells in 18 countries. So he's taken it to a whole other level. I remember the day when I was hoping he would graduate high school. And um, my daughter is going to be 21 <clears throat> uh, in just a couple of weeks, and so um, she's had a heart for children and, and Africa. She's been a few times, and so now she's going to go there for few months old. Dad is flying her to Kampala because I want to make sure she gets set up (laughs) safely there, you know. So it's exciting. And, uh, you know, if if nothing else, I'm living proof that if you hang in there long enough, that God will bless you, you know. So we we, we haven't done it right all the time. And we haven't, you know, um, uh, it's just been a long, slow journey. And so um, God's blessed us. But uh, what I want to talk to you about today, and you can see by your notes, is what to do when you don't know what to do. And uh, um, I really don't know of any person that has done something significant in life or fulfilling personally that didn't go through tough times to get there. And, And so you could be a great person doing great things and find yourself in some difficult storms and problems of life. And then sometimes we just make mistakes ourselves, bad decisions, emotional moments, and uh, we create our own problems. Sometimes other people create problems for us. Thank you very much. <laughs> I know you're thinking about somebody right now. but um, So we, we go through these difficult times, and we go through challenges, and there's, there are times, I mean, it could be an, an emotional heartbreak, a relationship breakup. It could be, you know, divorce. It could be financial loss, you know, the business failure in, in the economy in the last couple of years. I've seen people go through that. Or maybe you've been diagnosed with a disease or someone close to you been through an illness. It's so difficult. We go through these times. And, the, and there's that moment where emotionally, to be honest, you say, I don't even know what to do now. What, what do I do next? What's going to happen? And so I want to talk to you about that today because I believe that what I, I talk to you about is going to help and... and um, the reason that this is important is uh, I realize that in a difficult time, you could make a wrong decision and make a bad situation worse. Anybody know about that? I read about that in a book one time. <laughs> After I did it a few times myself. 
But look at this verse, Psalm 143. This is David, giant killer, leader, king. My enemy has chased me. He has knocked me to the ground. He forces me to live in darkness like those in the grave. I'm losing all hope. I'm paralyzed with fear. You know, when you lose hope and you lose courage and faith, it it makes us vulnerable and overwhelmed. And look what Apostle Paul said. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, and struck down, but not destroyed. What do you do when you're going through these difficult times? Well, um, one thing, kind of what I want to talk to you about just as an introduction is this idea of core values. Sometimes you hear about core values with an organization or a business or maybe a team. And uh, in our church, we have core values. And uh, they're really my personal core values as the leader. And we just encourage some basic things that we do in life. It's our values because your values shape you. They identify you. Your values are what you do in tough times, but they're also what you do in good times. Your values uh, are your fingerprint. And many people think, well, I, I've never really thought about it that way, and, and I'm not so much into that. I just live by faith, which I don't know what that means, but... Um, but that's, if you say that, that's your value. Everybody has values. Many people don't know they have them, but it's what you tend to move toward or what you lean on. And so here's the thing. When you're going through difficult times, I don't think that there, there's some specific things that you might need to do to adjust it, but there are some basic things that you do even when things are going great. And you do that also when things are going bad. And you look through the Bible and you see men and women facing difficult situations and they uh, would make decisions that define them as people anyway. And uh, your core value holds a strength in your life. So I'm encouraging you to think about what those would be. Sometimes it's, it's fear and you shut down. Sometimes that's our core value is when things get difficult, I shut down and I don't talk to anybody. Well, that's not really a healthy core value, but it could be what people do. So pick biblical, strong core values. I hurt my back a few years ago. Um, uh, Lower back, I was water skiing. Uh, I had this loud pop. I had to lay down for days, couldn't move. So then uh, for years, I worked on this lower back thing. And... uh, but what happened was when I went to the doctor right away, he said, uh, well, it looks like what happened to your back was just the extra pressure. And you could have done the same thing bending over to tie your shoe. I was like, oh, thank God I was doing it water skiing. I just couldn't bear telling people <laughs> I bent over to tie my shoe and now I'm a wreck. So, um, but... Um, I've been through all kinds of doctors and chiropractors and physical therapists, and I'm doing much better than ever. And what we're working on right now is building my core. And so what that is, basically, stomach muscles, back muscles, you know, holding yourself in place. Because a lot of times people get injured, lifting, look, uh, reaching up on the top shelf of the kitchen, or picking up uh, luggage, or doing something in everyday life. And your core will protect you. And it's the same thing that... Uh, happens spiritually your core protects you and uh, so i'm doing a lot of work on building my core you know this i'm building those muscles where you get six pack you know what that is men crave a six pack women love a six pack and i got one so don't hate uh i got one pack 
been, I've been working on it. I'm going for two. But uh, anyway, so core, we need to have core values in our soul, in our heart, and how we do life. And so the first one I want to talk to you about is passionately pursue God. Run toward God, not run away. Oh, and it's so much like human nature when things get difficult and painful. I've seen it so many times where people turn and draw back from God. They, why did this happen? Why did God do this to me? I don't, I, and to me, it's the time we need him most. When we don't know what happened, we don't know, did it, was it me? Was it the devil? Was it my friends who brought this up? What, what is it that we run to God? Oh, God, strengthen me. And when you look at the men and women of faith in the scripture, they would turn to him for strength. And so many times I've seen people draw back, determined to seek God. You know, Jehoshaphat is a king in the Old Testament. Uh, there were many kings in Israel and Judah, and some of them were bad, and some of them were godly. King Jehoshaphat was one of the good guys. He was a king who loved God. And, and I have this verse to read to you, but what happened before it is that three different armies got together and were going to attack him and his people. And so he's a good king. Things are going great. He hears this word. They're coming to get you. And so he freaks. He doesn't know what to do. And in Second Chronicles 23 to 4, it says, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So in that moment, he didn't know what to do. He said, well, one thing I do know what we're going to do is we're going to pursue God passionately. We're going to seek God. And he proclaimed a fast. And, and that's what we need to do. In, in the Bible, sometimes when people got serious, they would do a fast. I read a, a, one place where it said all the animals fasted. Can you believe making your dog fast? This is serious. No food for you either. <laughs> but um, they, they were pursuing God. And, you know, there's a lot of things God can do for us. But there's one thing he can't do, and that is seek him. That is pursue him. You've got to do that on your own. You draw near to God, he draws near to you. And in fact, it's kind of counterintuitive because sometimes we just want to draw back and, and shut down. Sometimes when I worship God, the loudest is when I've been through problems. And we tend to get apathetic and lazy and, and human nature takes over. We take people for granted. We take God for granted. And uh, it's really difficult to pursue God passionately in bad times when you don't pursue him in good times. And so you pursue God through his word. Through learning to love the Word of God. If you don't like reading the Bible, it's hard for you to understand. There are easier versions. You can get a different version. You can, get, you can sit down and listen to a podcast so somebody teaches it to you. And you look at your Bible and you take notes. Begin to find life in the Bible. When I, I heard somebody say recently, when I open the Bible, the Bible opens me. Isn't that good? And, and it, it's... It's um, not reading through chapters that matters. It's about loving the word and letting it speak to your life. It's so much more than a book. It speaks life to your soul. Don't, get, don't allow yourself to get nonchalant, but fire yourself up in his word and in worship. You know, don't, you know when, when things are going difficult, get here. Worship God because it's a core value. Be here for song number one. Start to worship him. Oh, God, I love this opportunity. Great singers to lead, great music. And, you know, people in church, at my church, the same thing. People come and like, how many times are we going to sing this song? We sang this for like three months now. 
Or, well, the music sure is loud. That's at my church. Music sure is loud. Like, did you forget the point here? We're supposed to, you got three or four songs where you get to worship God. You're going through difficulty. You're talking about what the worship leader is wearing. You know, how about pursue God? Come on. And, um, and, and so sometimes we just got to be reminded or stirred up. Because our strength, our power is in pursuing God passionately. Get involved in the local church. Yeah, you got a great church here. Plug in. Pursue God passionately. How can you serve? How can you be planted and, and be involved? It will build strength in your life. And um, this is what David did. You know, I read this story um, in, in uh, Psalm 18. Verse 6, he says, In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to God for my help from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. I think that's just the way David lived his life. He was a worshiper. And so when things went bad, he was a worshiper. There's one situation where his baby was dying. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed, Oh, God, spare my baby. I can't. I've seen people who've lost their children. I can't even imagine what that would be like. The pain. The struggle. And it says here in Second Samuel, you know, they, he was praying and they came to him and said, David, the baby died. And look what it says in Second Samuel 12. It says, then David got up from the ground. After he washed, put on lotions, changed his clothes, he went to the house of the Lord and worshiped. He's like, I'm going to pursue God. This is so painful. I don't think I can get through it without my God. It's a whole different way to respond. It's a, a way that brings strength. Oh, man, I was preaching in a church in Memphis, Tennessee, and we had a Saturday night service. And after the service, we were having dinner with the pastor, and he got a text message that one young man in his church, 18 years old, a great believer, great involved in the church, but the only one in his family, a real troubled family. And he said, his brother, I just got this text, his brother got shot, and he's in the emergency room. And I said, oh, well, if you need to go, go. And he said, no, we got another pastor. He's already there. He's texting me. He's there with him praying. And then by the end of dinner, he was dead. So the next morning, Sunday morning, we have worship, and then the pastor comes up and says, Hey, uh, you know, they called his name. Uh, his brother was killed last night, and we want to pray for him uh, as a church. And then he surprised me. He turns to the choir and says, Come on down here. And he steps out of the choir and comes to the front, and he puts his arm around him and prays for him. And I thought, Oh, man, here's this boy. His brother was killed last night. And the pastor told me, oh, yeah, he told me this morning, I'm coming to church. I'm going to worship God. I'm not going to go through this uh, alone without my uh, worshiping my God. I was in, in, so inspired by this young man who's like, I'm going to face this difficulty pursuing God. Does anybody get that? Isn't that awesome? Okay. Um, then <clears throat> make this. Uh, I heard this story. I'll tell you one other thing, and then we'll go to the next point. But um, uh, this woman was talking about flying to Europe on the day of 9-11 when New York City was attacked. So she's in the plane, and they're going to land. And um, uh, the, or she's in the plane, and they're going to Europe. And so then the pilot comes on the intercom, and he says, We have to make an unscheduled immediate landing. Put on your seatbelts, prepare for landing, and I can't tell you why. I don't know why I said that. that. That doesn't really bring peace, you know. So she said, everyone reached for the pocket in front of them and pulled out the little what you do in case of an emergency thing. Every single person. You know, when you should be paying attention and the flight attendant says, everybody listen to this and you don't. Um, 
But it was so funny. And then, but then what came to my mind is that's how a lot of Christians do the Bible. It's like where everything's going along fine. We don't read it. And then when there's an emergency, we're, oh, let me get the Bible out. And uh, it really should be something that feeds our soul and, and drives us in our pursuit of God. All right. So the second thing that we need to do is to resolve past hurts. Listen, we all have issues. Everybody say issues. <laughs> you got issues. I got issues. And, and so it's um, resolving wounds in our heart. The bitternesses, the hurts, the wounds. You know, we, we help a lot of people with their marriage. And so many times the marriage problems people are facing, it's not even the problems that they're having. It's something that happened before. Uh, a wound in their heart, an insecurity, a fear, uh, something that they brought into the relationship. And it's always appropriate to be working on your soul. I'm, I'm a pastor. I've had some of the greatest healing in my life while pastoring. Some of the issues that have emerged and some of the things that have come up that, that I, I bring it to God and, and I have to do the work. You have to be honest. You've got to face it and, and turn it over to God and, and do the work. You know, uh, and and, uh, we just talk about that openly in church. So it's not like all of us strong people of faith have no baggage. It's you poor other people who should get some extra help. No, it's a, we all, we just make it open and honest. Let's grow together. I'm growing. You pray for me. I'll pray for you. Um, And um, so, so, uh, you know, some people, uh, you know, you got, you know, people that come into your life and they got baggage. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Some people have a little carry-on that they bring with them into the relationship, and other people have like lots of luggage, lots of three or four things, baggage. And so, um, um, you know, I have a dog, and uh, her name is Angel, and she's a lab mix and a shepherd and a, uh, some other thing, a sordid past, obviously. But she's a great dog. She's older now. But um, several years ago, she got this little sore on her leg. She, it was this big red bump on her leg. And I took her to the vet. And he goes, okay, what this is is that dogs will get a cut or a scratch on their leg. And they lick it, and it helps heal. That's normal. But sometimes dogs get fixated on it. And they lick it, and they lick it, and they lick it, and they lick it. And it gets worse. So that the result of their licking is worse than the original injury. And so the vet got me one of these. Have you seen this? It's the doggy collar, you know. And so we put it on Angel. He said she has to wear it for about a month or so. And so it broke her attention because she couldn't reach that wound and lick it, you know. So um, a month later, it goes away. She's healed. And um, so I, I thought that was great. And so what's happened with Angel is that once a year, once every 10 months, another sore shows up. It's like she never learns. So I, I keep one around the house now. So about every year, I have to go, okay, I pull this out. I go, come here, Angel. And it's, what's so funny is she puts her head down like this. She's like, oh, geez, you know, here's the cone of shame. You know, what do I, everybody's going to know. I'm going to be banging around the house. And, and uh, so we put it on, and she quits licking, and it heals. And so one day I thought, man, we should have these at church. thinking we should have this for Christians. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, we could put them out on the uh, book table and have our church logo right here. And because and, uh, people uh, like to rehearse their wounds. 
And we love people and we love to help them and we're compassionate and merciful. But there's a point where you got to stop licking the wound. I don't want to hear about your pastor 20 years ago that hurt your feelings or the boyfriend that hurt you or the mom that didn't say what she needed to say. I mean, those are issues that we should be working on, not uh, licking and building them up and making them worse. You don't want to be defined by your wounds. You want to be defined by where you're going, what you're doing in your life. And so we don't mean this hard. I'm trying to play around with you a little bit. But, uh, boy, you, you all know sometimes people, when you talk to them, you know where the conversation is going to end up. They're going to bring up the thing about the depression or they're going to bring about this. And so we want to help people get free. You know, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's about coming into his presence. One of the wounds that I see a lot is what I call um, the father wound. Wound of a dad. We just had Father's Day in June. And I did a message that day. And in that service, we honored dads. We had them stand up, give them uh, a gift and prayed for them. And uh, But my message was to all of you who got uncomfortable when I said today's Father's Day. Which was like six or seven people out of ten. So we say, hey, Father's Day, and half the people are going, oh, great. I just want to get through it like Christmas. Can't wait till it's over. And uh, I turned that conversation to them. And after the service, so many people came up to me and talked about what that message did to them because of a father wound in their life. Whether they were 18 years old or whether they were in their 60s. One woman came to me in her 60s with tears, and my dad never loved me. Every Man wants their dad to bless them, to love them, to know that he is on their side. Every girl wants to hear from her daddy, I love you. You're beautiful. To me, you're beautiful. You deserve to be honored by any man in your life. But not many people get that. And uh, I think about Jesus when he was baptized in water. He came up out of the water and look at what the scripture says in Luke chapter three it says the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. One version says you are my beloved son because with you I'm well pleased. From that declaration from heaven. It launched him in his life. In fact, I believe this is a longer teaching. I'm not going to get into that. But um, I believe that all the temptations were to try to steal the blessing of the father on him. But he did his ministry in his life out of this confirmation from his father. And so maybe you didn't get the blessing from your dad. Maybe you carry a wound in your soul. Uh, I believe that that's part of the healing that could take place in your life. And that it could free you. It could free you to be more, to enjoy more, to love more. And, um, you know, my, my dad was a pastor and an evangelist for um, 53 years. He passed away when he was 82. It was in uh, the year 2000. He uh, reached a lot of people for Jesus and, and just loved being a preacher. And, uh, but you know what? He was, uh, also a rigid man. He was, um, uh, critical and not given to change. 
And he was never mentored in the realm of compassion. And so here's a guy who could quote the Bible, who uh, loved Jesus. But his family, we have five kids. We, we, we have all been on a journey uh, of healing. Of, but several of my brothers and sisters live their life as if they've never gotten the blessing from their dad. And uh, I was one of them who kept pursuing, reaching out, trying to make a real connection. And you know what? My dad loved me. He told me he loved me, but I never really felt that embrace, that compassion, that that connection in my heart. And, um, you know, part of the blessing of the dad is just personal presence. It's like to be there. It's like, I'm proud of you. I love you. Yeah, well, show me by showing up to what's important to me. You know, we've... uh, I set my life up to where with my kids, I went to their games, their school shows. I took time off of work. If I had to take a vacation day, I took a vacation day. I wanted to be, I wanted to show them they mattered to me. And how few dads were in the audience was always noteworthy to me. And maybe it's just a privilege I had being a pastor, but I I just set it up that way. And, um, but, um, yeah, my dad, uh, I, I pastored, in the Oasis for 28 years. I'd pastor for about 20. And uh, when he uh, passed, but he, um, he came to hear me at the Oasis twice. He lived within a 40-minute drive. And I just thought, well, I was, hey, I'm proud of what you're doing. But it's like he wouldn't come. Why, wouldn't, why won't you come? And um, when, it, when I preached one time before we started the church and he came to a service. So I was younger, and our, our relationship was a little rocky. And he came, and he had to go do something else afterwards, so I didn't get to talk to him. But when I got home uh, on the answering machine, he said, I can't believe you wear your hair like that. It's so long. You're, it's embarrassing. You look like Charles Manson. Charles Manson's a famous evangelist. That you, you know. And... Um, but at first, I was so angry, so furious, and then I just got sad for him. Because when he passed away, you know, here's a guy, he loved to laugh, and he loved people. But uh, at the end of his life, his family's estranged from him, he didn't have many friends. And uh, so it's something he wanted, but he couldn't, didn't know how to do it. There was a point, I, I worked through that, I forgive him, I just took him for who he was. Just like, this is what he's going to give me. That's it. I'm not going to keep asking for more. I'm just going to accept him like he is. And um, it brought a lot of healing to my life. And um, I feel like I've gotten that blessing, like the scripture says, from God. And what I want to do today when we close is I want to pray for you so that people here, uh, maybe you're identifying with this on some way, that you could walk out of here with a sense of the Father's blessing Uh, from heaven what your earthly father couldn't do your heavenly father gave you and um, I have to say that there was a point when I was reasoning this out and I realized my dad was uh, his dad was never around and he had he had six brothers and sisters his mom died when he was seven and then he was in orphanage homes and living by himself with a brother and different things. And so, and reasonably, I thought, okay, well, I can see why I do that. But um, honestly, uh, I, when we were older in life, I met an uncle that I had never met. And 
I went to Texas and met this uncle. He's a couple years older than my dad. So here's this guy. He has a great family. He and his wife foster cared like 10 to 15 kids over the years. He coached Little League Baseball. The community loved them. I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Here's two brothers in the same situation. And one, some reason, couldn't love and be a blessing, and somebody else did. And so it really is in your power. That's why I said I'm not going to carry this on with my family. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to figure out. I'm going to work through my baggage. I'm going to take care of business so that I can be loving and be present. And so we want to look for whatever's in our hearts. We can get that out of the way so we can continue uh, to move forward. Um, All right. So the third thing is, uh, so we passionately pursue God. You doing okay? All right. Passionately pursue God. Number two, resolve past hurts. And number three, Take the opportunity before you today to help someone for tomorrow. See, it's, it's serve. We're blessed to be a blessing. Give. Be a contributor. Don't be a spectator. Be a participant. Be somebody who sows a seed. Leave a mark on the lives of other people. Sometimes we get paralyzed by our problems and we don't act. But, you know, it's interesting. We were singing this song uh, in worship today, where we talk, we're singing about how we worship God in different seasons of life, all seasons. To me, I'm thinking good and bad. But it says, I know I'm filled to be emptied again. Do you remember singing that? How do you get emptied? You get emptied by not being worn out in life, but by blessing people, giving. You receive and you give. And sometimes you give so that you can receive. One time I... I Messed up my knee and had surgery. And so um, I was in the hospital. And like the, the, the next morning after the surgery, the nurse comes in. Okay, Mr. Wagner, let's get up. I'm going to walk you around the room. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just had a surgery on my knee. Why don't you read that little chart right there? I'm not walking anywhere. No, she goes, no, no, no. That's how you heal. Get up and we're going to walk around the room. And so we're doing this. And it was part of the healing process, which I didn't appreciate so much. But it turns out she was smarter than me. And that's what you do. And uh, that's the way it is in church sometimes. Sometimes people with great capacity, great ability, freeze up. And they don't want to, I've been hurt. You don't understand, I've been wounded. Yeah, so be a blessing to somebody. So that's how you get healed. Start walking around a little bit and serve. How can you give back? How can you be a contributor or a participant? Make a difference in somebody's life. You know, Ephesians 5 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You got opportunities right here. I'm telling you, this church, this is the second service I've been at. This is an awesome church. This number of people could make a huge impact in this city. If you come together in unity, if you all are contributors and serving, making a difference, oh, it could be amazing. I've seen this so many times. What great resources that you got here. But you got to look for that opportunity today. What can you do? How can you get involved? How can you make a difference? You know, sometimes people are chasing a dream down the, in the future, but they don't take advantage of the opportunity now. Every dream gets reached by making the most of what you've got now. Serving where you can, working, doing the best with what you can, and uh, whether it's ministry or business, faithful with little leads you to faithful with much. There's something that's called the butterfly effect. In 1963, Edward Lawrence uh, 
presented to the New York Academy of Science this concept called the butterfly effect. And he said that a butterfly could flap its wings and it would set molecules in motion, which would set other molecules in motion and could result in a hurricane on the other side of the planet. Well, they laughed him out. They even escorted him. They thought he was crazy. He was the butt of their jokes. It was a a myth, a joke, a, a ridiculous thought. Well, 30 years later, in the 90s, University scientists, the top professors in the country came together and agreed that this was uh, valid, was real, was significant. And they even made it a a status of law. It's called the law of sensitive dependence upon initial conditions. I try to remember it, but I have to keep reading this. The law of sensitive dependence upon initial conditions. The Bible calls it sowing and reaping. But the principle is, every action matters. What you do makes a difference to all of us, forever. So how you love and how you reach and the word that you say and the encouragement that you give and the prayer that you offer, it touches people. And you have no idea who it impacts. And I'll tell you what it means, what I mean by that. In 1940, this is my little props here, i got to get out. In 1940 a man named Norman Borlaug um, created something where he could hybridize corn and wheat. In other words, what that means, he created a synthetic seed that could grow and flourish in desert areas that no other seed could flourish. So in uh, third world countries, in Africa, in South America, even in the U.S., places where plants could not grow because of this hybridized seed could now grow. And it was estimated that over the years, he has saved two billion lives from famine. Norman Borlaug. So, but did Norman Borlaug save those two billion lives or was it Henry Wallace? Henry Wallace was vice president under uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Roosevelt had three vice presidents. Henry Wallace was one of them. While he was vice president, he set up an organization in Mexico to develop and figure out how to create a hybridized seed of corn or wheat that could feed people that were starving otherwise. Because before Henry Wallace was vice president, he was secretary of agriculture. And so he hired this guy named Norman Borlaug. And Norman did all this research and came up with the seed. So maybe it wasn't just Norman. Maybe it was Henry Wallace that saved the two billion lives and counting. Or maybe it was uh, even further down the road. I'm going to take these off. Maybe it was George Washington Carver. You heard of George Washington Carver, the peanut guy? He was so much more than that. But when um, George Washington Carver was in, at, going to school at Iowa University, he was one of the top students. And one of his professors, because he was a top student, allowed him to take his son, uh, six years old, out on some excursions and to go out. And so he would take him and show him um, uh, agriculture. And he, he just was fascinated with all this. And so George Washington Carver took a little boy named Henry Wallace, 
with him to these expeditions that planted a seed in him about the awesome power of agriculture. So was it Henry Wallace that touched the two billion lives? Or maybe it was George Washington Carver who sowed a seed in him. Or maybe it was this slave named Moses. Moses and his wife Susan lived um, in the slave states and uh, they were against slavery. And so, therefore, they were targets of crazy people. And so, there were raiders, much like the KKK of the 50s and 60s, who would terrorize people who had any resistance to slavery. And so, one night, Moses and Susan are there. These raiders come in in the middle of the night they're shooting people and killing them. They burn down their barn. They set buildings on fire. And they grab this woman, uh, Mary, and she was holding on to her baby. And they grabbed her and rode off into the darkness. Well, uh, Mary was a close friend of Moses and Susan's. So they um, sent out the word to other nearby farms and other areas. And over two days, they kept sending this message, how can we help? How can we reach her? And finally, they organized the meeting between Moses and the head of this raiders uh, to meet in the middle of the night. So he rode on horseback for several hours in a cold January to meet these guys who were hooded at the risk of his own life. And so when he met with them, he gave them the only horse left in his farm for what they threw to him in a burlap sack. And when he caught that sack, they rode off into the darkness, and he opened it up, and there was this little baby. Mary had died by their hands, and all that was left was the baby. So he put him in his coat, and he walked home for miles and miles in a cold January, keeping this baby warm. And when he got home, he and his wife committed themselves to making sure that they gave this baby uh, an education in honor of his mother, Mary Washington. So Moses and Susan Carter gave him the name George Washington Carver. So was it Moses and Susan who fed two billion people? Or was it George Washington Carver? Because, see, you never know the impact of what you do. And here you are serving in a church. You have no idea the number of people you could reach by touching somebody in Jesus' name, by serving somebody, by reaching out, making a difference. King Solomon built the most beautiful temple in history that reached millions of people. But was it King Solomon that reached all those people? Or was it King David who said, you know what, I'm not going to take the glory. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you the opportunity. I'm going to give you all my finances. I'm going to give you all my endorsement. I'm going to make sure you get a win. Or was it... Samuel the prophet who ordained David king even while Saul was still reigning at the risk of his own life when nobody else could believe in David. He was a little shepherd boy, but Samuel said, no, God's spoken to me. You are the next king. It was Samuel who helped build this temple that reached millions of people. Or maybe it was Eli, the the, uh, priest who saw this woman babbling and pursuing God with all of her heart in the temple. And he said, what's wrong? And she goes, I have no baby. I'm barren. I can't give birth. And so Eli prayed for her and blessed her so that out of her womb came Samuel. Maybe it was Eli who helped build the temple. The point is, what you do matters. 
And I want you to know that there's an opportunity in your hands that you could do something. So I want to encourage you, don't give up. Uh, Don't draw back. Stand firm. If you're going through a difficult time, pursue God with all your heart. Just like Hannah did. This is tough. People are ridiculing me. Nobody understands. I'm going to the temple. I'm going to worship God. And out of it came Samuel and David and Solomon. The people's lives that you touch here at Coastline Church could make a huge difference in Southern California. It's not just about you. It's about the others. Passionately pursue God. Work on that hurt issues in your life and look for an opportunity to make a difference. Father, I pray for each one here today. I bless them and I thank you for their their coming here. You know what they're going through. You know what they've been through. But even greater, you know their destiny. You know their purpose. I pray that each person here will have an idea of the purpose of God for their life. Whether it's family oriented or community oriented or business or ministry. Bless them, Lord. Protect them in this time of challenge or the challenges that they might face. And I pray, Lord, that you would show us, inspire us. How do we passionately pursue God? Lord, we take a moment and confess any sin that would hinder us from pursuing you. Anything that we've engaged in that's weakened our faith, we're going to set it aside so we can pursue you with all of our heart. Lord, I pray that you'd heal the wounds in people's lives. The baggage that we have, whatever they may have gone through, the loss of people, the loss of business, the hurts, the problems. Oh God, they can scar us so deeply. But Jesus said the Holy Spirit has anointed him to heal the brokenhearted. And I think Jesus could heal you today of that depression, of that anxiety, those fears at night. And I want to pray for those of you that might have resonated with what I was saying about the blessing of the dad, the father blessing. And so I want to pray for you and um, I'm going to pray for you. I I want you to have that blessing from the father in your life. I want you to hear it like Jesus heard it. This is my son. This is my daughter. So in the name of Jesus Christ and the authority that's given to us in his name, I I bless you. Any person here who's lacking that blessing from their father, I want to declare to you, you are loved. You are a beloved son. You are a loved daughter. You're important. You're valuable. He approves of you. He's giving his grace to you freely. He has a vision for your life. You are blessed. I pray that God would heal the hurts and wounds in your life and replace it with confidence, with strength, with hope in the name of Jesus. Now, Lord, help us to see how we can make a difference. Help us to see where we can serve. How can we serve Pastor Aaron? How can we make this church stronger, better? How can we um, remove any hesitancy and just be all in, all in for Jesus? And while we're in this moment of prayer, the last thing I'm going to pray for is, I wonder if there are some of you here that maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. When I said passionately pursue God, you know, the best first step is making Jesus Christ the Savior of your life. 
And I don't know, you may have been to churches before, maybe you haven't, and maybe you have um, prayed prayers or read the Bible, maybe not. But it's not really all about that. It's about you as an adult saying, I'm, I'm putting my faith, I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior. And you could do that right now. You could do that today. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer as a sample. And you could pray along with me quietly right there in your heart. And you just say, yes, that's me. That's what I want. I, I agree with that. And that, this prayer will change your heart, will change your eternity. Just pray something like this. God, God in heaven, I, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for your love, that you love me and that you have not given up on me. And so today, I just want to tell you, I want to declare, I want Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I'm putting my faith in Him today. This is a moment I'll remember forever. Putting my faith in You. So Lord, I ask You to to forgive me, cleanse my heart, heal me, fill me with Your love and your, Your mercy so I can follow You with all my heart. Cleanse me from every failure. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died and rose again, and it's you I will live for. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I wonder just for a moment, is there anybody here that could just just let me know, just between me and you? Maybe you would just say, Hey, Pastor Philip, when you when you prayed about that dad blessing, um, I was praying along with you. I meant that. I, I really wanted that blessing, and that was important to me. Could you just lift your hand up real quick? Just anywhere around the room, you prayed along with me about that Father blessing. Go and put your hand up. Oh, good. Thank you. Hands all over. Awesome. You can put your hands down. Anybody here say, Pastor Philip, when you prayed that prayer of putting your faith in Jesus, I just want you to know I prayed along with you quietly, and I meant that. I really did. And I just want you to know. Just raise your hand so I can see it real high. Thank you. Thank you. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Awesome, awesome. Okay, you can put your hands down. Lord, bless them. I pray that you'd protect them and guide them every day of their life. And I thank you for the decisions that they've made in Jesus' name.